Today on my podcast,、uh, Mia, you are the founder of Mind the Blueprint Workshop that helps leaders to understand their behavior patterns and really get the most out of their psychological part,、uh, which is super cool. And I'm really excited to talk to you about. But thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank you for having me. Cool. Well, tell me a little bit about the behavior science. This is something that you're working on right now, and.、Um, Your new project, Mind the Blueprint. Yeah, it's a passion project of mine.、Um, I thought I wouldn't actually be doing it for another decade, but、um, everything just aligned. So、um, my background's in behavioral science, and I've always been fascinated with behavioral patterns. And constantly working in like startups and the tech environment, I was constantly working with CEOs and entrepreneurs, and I kept realizing all the, I guess you could say, pitfalls. That they were stumbling upon by just, I guess, like being an entrepreneur can be so lonely, and so there's a lot of like fears and just、uh, behavioral block patterns is what I like to call it, and it's just,、um, and I was realizing that they didn't have the tool sets to be able to overcome it. So you could read like a million self help books, but to be able to understand the psychology of what is actually happening in your brain to understand, oh. Okay, like that's just my fear, and if I just do X, Y, and Z, I could actually just overcome that and be able to post something on LinkedIn or、right. create that product or go forward and make that sales deal, like whatever it is. But yeah, so I found that a lot of people had a lot of behavioral problems, and my background in behavioral science really helped these entrepreneurs、um, scale their business. But it wasn't. Really helping them just with the business side of it. It was really the mental part.、Mm-hmm. So, so I ended up like I was I was their marketing director, but I was also coaching them. So that was kind of cool. So then I saw like a huge need for this. So then I started Mind the Blueprint. That's very cool. <clears throat> I mean, you you've definitely found more more gains to be made in the psychology side versus the actual marketing side. Yeah. So well, I do find that marketing and psychology like they are one and the same. Um, but yes, for sure. Like I definitely knew that I've always wanted to take psychology wherever I went, and、um, it's just happened to stumble. I guess I stumbled upon it when I was in marketing,、um, and I'm very grateful for it. Oh, for sure. No, this is a very cool space to be in. I'm sure. Like it's 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 really really exciting.、Um, tell me about the work that you did in in UX because I know you you worked. So the part of your marketing work, job was also to look at or. Outside of marketing, you also were looking in UX. Yeah, so UX is actually、um, stands for user experience. So I was a user experience researcher. So there's also a user experience designer for those who wants to、um, go into one or the other. And so mine was less technical, less having to do with the wireframe. So I worked with designers,、um, but so it's cool. So I had a lot of trouble getting people to understand what behavioral science was for a few years. So, but then I found a home in user experience where that's literally what they use. They would use the science of behavior to understand、um, the users. So, like who's coming on their website, and they would use the same type of、um, experimental like grouping. So,、right. um, that we would use in psychology, 
to be able to identify um, the types of users and the personas that um, of, pe of people that are coming onto their website and using their product. So, um, so yeah. So then I got I jumped into user experience research and fell in love with it because it was all psychology right. and behavioral science, and it brought in my passion with tech. And so, um, so yeah, I got into that, and then I my as a mark, you know, someone in marketing, your job isn't just one. So sure. I was trying to do user experience research and a bunch of different jobs at the same time. But uh, but yeah, definitely, it's still a passion of mine. It's interesting when you talk about when we talk about the user user experience and all the research. It reminded me about I was listening to a podcast. It was uh, David Council, CEO of Drift, on Seeking Wisdom. Oh, I love Drift. Yeah, they're they're really great guys. Actually, just released their book. Uh, conversational marketing, which I have to read too. It's so cool. I'm su I was super excited. So David actually was talking about marketers and about the job interview. And when he says um, when he's trying to hire a marketer, he gives them an example or, or task to do at an interview, explain or break down the Amazon homepage. Because Amazon oh, homepage, they, there's a science behind every single thing that's going on. It looks super messy. It looks very weird. But there's, but there's a reason. There's a reason. Yes. It actually pulls from for like so much traffic and it converts a lot of people yeah. because there's like all the science behind each section and right. how each section actually uh, comes and goes. And I thought it was very, very interesting. It was like a really interesting insight. Well, I love that because he's he wants to know your thought process. Right. And so sometimes when I've talked to marketers um, or people that want to go into marketing, I want to know, okay, well, how do you actually think? Because it's like marketing sounds so glamorous sometimes to people, but it's a huge umbrella of so yeah. many different things. And um, and one thing I personally look for um, as a really good marketer is someone that's analytical. Mm. So they need to have an analytical type of thought process. And so a lot of people with their background in the science field or experimentation of any kind, they think or engineering, they think analytically. So like naturally they're going to be drawn to like a marketing type of role. Um, or data-driven role, and so to be able to ask someone um, like, "What is the Amazon website?" or anything about the Amazon website, you need to understand their thought process, and the the experimentation part comes in because you're always thinking hypothesis, variables, conclusion, and what better person than someone that's like data-driven or has a background in science and it, thinks analytically? It's also I find it interesting, like all this big, big, big misconception in marketing where everybody thinks it's it's creative. It's got to be creative yeah, okay, yeah, versus right. where it's actual research and science and A, A B testing. Most where this is where most of the results come in versus yeah. it, the creative part is is maybe. That's what it looks to outside, but there's an actual science behind every single thing. There's an actual science, and it's a lot of trial and error. And right. what is trial and error other than like a bunch of theories and hypotheses that you're trying to figure out, okay, is this that is my hypothesis right? Am I going to make this video viral because I, I made this button blue or I did this video like this? And so, so yeah, it is, you're right. It is very data-driven. And the creativity side helps with anything. You need to activate both parts of your brain. Um, to be able to succeed in a lot of things, right? But um, but yeah, the the logical side really helps. Where do you where do you see people making um, big mistakes in UX when they are doing the research, or maybe the, when they're trying to design something for for their product or their service? Like, where do you see people getting caught up? Maybe you had experiences like that. Um, so the problems that I saw, um, I think there was more issues with a lot of companies 
grouping together a UX designer and a UX researcher. So it wasn't more so like the people actually doing anything wrong because I didn't get, I wasn't fortunate enough to work like with a big team of UX researchers because right. I was always in like a small um, company in a tech startup space. But I did see that when I would see a lot of postings or talking consulting companies that a lot of companies thought they should group them together. Mm -hmm. Whereas I understand the money and the budget is tight, but they're, the thought process and the people that you need um, to be able to do something successfully is, is different. So just because they both have UX in their title doesn't mean they're doing the same thing. A designer is being able to understand the wireframes right. and is able to code and stuff sometimes, but the researcher is coming in with the science and the knowledge and saying, hey, this is what we need to do because of all this research that I got X, Y, and Z, and they kind of, they work together. But, um, but I find the, the problem that companies have is they kind of group them together because they actually, a lot of people still don't know what UX is. Right. So that's, I think, <laughs> the big thing. It's like, they don't know what UX and UI is, and so they're just like, oh, we just, we know we need it. But it's just like, yeah, but the UX designer, maybe they're, they just have a background in coding or designing, um, do they really understand the persona and your demographic and mm -hmm. able to run these experiments? Um, are they able to do like a good control study or like any type of experiment? Are they able to do that? A good researcher, they're, they're solely focused on that. And, and the important part about it is that they're bringing down variables so, or biases. And so in an experiment, it's so important, but the designer is so focused on the wireframes and creating good design and they're so computer focused and so they're just different types of minds and thinking and thought process so they I just find that a lot of companies need to separate the two right right no totally that's uh, that uh, that totally makes sense tell me a little bit about the client relationships because I think this is so important for anybody who are, who is in the services business like what are some of the rules and processes have you set up to make sure that when you are working with a client, the pro the project actually is on track, and everybody understands that, um, like it will get completed, and these are the points that will get delivered. Because I find when you talk to a client, sometimes you either give too much information or maybe too little information, and then sometimes there's a bit of a debate after the second half of the payment usually is due have we done enough or maybe haven't done enough so how to avoid that scope creep or that that's what I'm, I'm curious so working at in smaller companies where you don't have a million project managers on hand to be able to create that scope of work and to be able to deliver the product maybe on time so the last company i worked at i learned a lot because i failed a ton I failed a ton because I didn't have the resources. I didn't, I was wearing 10 hats, like, which was great because I learned so much. So I was being, I, I was trying to be a project manager, which also was a different type of thought process and different type of mentality. And I was also trying to be strategic and direct marketing and do UX. But, um, I so we failed, yeah, I failed a lot. I would take the blame for the team, whereas I wasn't, I thought I could deliver something on time, and, but we were making ourselves too thin. We were telling customers that we can, and in hindsight, like, I actually did believe that we could, but, um, but we didn't have, like, a proper scope of work. So the scope of work really, so having a really good project manager, but I understand like a lot of people don't have the budget for it. So, but there are a lot of apps out there mm -hmm. that you can use, right. but it's just 
having someone on your team understand what a project manager mm -hmm. does and understand how to write a scope of work and everything else it entails because they're the person who's going to be able to keep you so organized. And I think logically and creatively, and I have zero organization <laughs> skills. I'm not even going to, like, I could strengthen that skill, but I have so many other skills I want to strengthen, and right. I, I don't even, yeah. like, want to, to be honest. Like, I don't even like it. I think it makes me creative. I'm the, like, the one study that came out that said, hey, if your room is messy and it makes you more creative because you could find things under all your stuff and you know where to look. I was like, perfect. That, that gives me the right and I was And I just stuck to it, which is okay. horrible, but it, I'm fine with it. But you need to find someone that's super organized to be able to, and to be able to relay information back and forth to you and to the client at all times. Someone needs to be like keeping that client relationship. And in smaller companies where there's like maybe five or 10 people, you end up thinking like you could do it all, but you need to appoint one person and exact and write out who's gonna actually talk to each client and for what, because at least the client isn't getting upset at all times thinking, why isn't this sent? And it's just like, well, if you look at our scope of work, I told you at this right. point in time, it's gonna be sent, this person's gonna contact you. So if, when that is laid out, Honestly, you could actually have like a really good client relationship and end up getting more work right. from them. But if you don't, if you're not like organized, if you don't have someone organized on your team to do that, um, get an app. <laughs> that will do it for you. Yeah, seriously. I, I, I could totally relate to your story. <laughs> like it's 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 so interesting. Um, I'm not an organized person, okay. and I thought I was. And it was such a moment of revelation when I was was doing project manager job, which I didn't. I later learned it was where I was so confident as like, oh, we can, this project definitely going to happen. We can deliver this web page or we can deliver this, this, um, this articles and it just failed miserably. It was, I was like, how that could happen? It just blew my mind. And later I understood that these people are just so much better at organizational skills. So all comes back to self-awareness, which I think is so important. It really is. I wish I had the skill and the capability, but honestly, like I ended up talking to a lot of people as well, trying to figure out what I did wrong. And, um, and it was, again, a lot of people even told me that because in big corporations, they do things different. There's like a process in place. And so it's always, that's why I always think it's also good to work at a corporation to be able to get those skills. Yeah. And understand how a company should be run, maybe, and um, and they have a certain process in place, and yeah. they're able to understand that um, that you should maybe even show your clients all the possibilities right. of um, a color that they need on like a campaign or a flyer, anything, Duh. whatever it is. Um, give them all the possibilities because honestly, they're giving you so much money and they're expecting so much of you. And, um, and you don't really know what's happening in their head. They, they actually already have a vision most of the time, like most people do. They have a vision and they just want you to create it. And they're, uh, they don't understand why you're not getting what they're saying. But you are the marketing person and you're the one who should actually be telling them what they need. Okay. But a lot of times that's not what happens in, in, a, in especially in advertising. <laughs> of course, of course. And so... Um, which is probably one of the big reasons I left. It's like, it is a hard thing to keep up with that type of client relationship. Um, and so, so yeah, so you ended up 
So you end up getting a lot of misinformation. And so that's why that scope of work needs to, you always could go back because they could always, you could always attack right. each other being like, I thought you, you were going to do this. I thought you were going to, but you, that scope of work Absolutely. really organizes Absolutely. who's going to do what, what you were going to um, be able to present to them by the end of the deadline. Yeah. And I find a thing for anybody who wants to <clears throat> get better with client relationship, especially in advertising, reading the book, David Ogilvy, Confessions of an Advertising Man. Is, is it good? It's perfect. It's amazing. I'm just actually reading it right now and it's so good. So he wrote two books. Uh, Confessions of an Advertising Man, which talked about how to run an agency, all the rules of all the things, what to do, what not to do, how to select clients. It's amazing. Yeah, so, so sorry, the selection of clients, that is honestly so important. Absolutely. Like, I didn't learn that until the, the last job that I had, and, um, and then I started consulting on my own. Um, and I... And then the first client that I got, they were going to retain me. And I was just like, oh my God. And so easy to just jump for the money. But when you realize, wait, the reason that I decided to go out on my own was to be able to choose my own clients. Because once you understand what kind of um, clients you could get, you could realize like, oh, some people can be harder to deal with than others. And are you ready to put up with that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so that could, that could also hurt your business and it could take a lot of time and energy making sure that client gets what they need. Whereas some clients, they really trust your abilities and are just like, hey, this is what I want. What do you think? And let's work together. Those are amazing clients. T totally. And I think <clears throat> what I've learned in this book, what David talks about and from the advertising perspective, and I think the scope could be a little bit bigger for uh, the work outside of advertisement is who gives approval of who you need to get um, to approve the project, how much money do you have and what are you trying to do? Those are going to be really, really important. And if there's more than one person who needs who needs to okay the project, then it's not even worth doing because it's going to be so much harder. And he, David Tapp talks about the committee is not a, not a good idea. So really cool book. It's definitely worth reading. It's a very easy read and it's a short one. And then a second one David, uh, David Ogilvy wrote about was uh, David Ogilvy in advertising. And that one is specifically talks about examples of a good advertisement what it, what the headline looks like what the copy looks like what the visuals are so really cool ones to i think get a good experience from the uh from the copywriting from advertisement perspective and pure marketing like real authenticity of the good copy which i think is very very important but i wanted to transition a little bit more to you to psychology self-development side which i know you're 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 really strong in talk to me about how do you actually change your perception of a failure? Because everybody's concerned with failure. <laughs> Nobody wants to fail. And then everybody's afraid to take action. And let's say somebody did fail. Like, how do they actually change that perception? What could they do to say, hey, maybe I've learned something? Or, or maybe how can they turn it around? So it depends... I guess what kind of um, scenario, so I would, I want to break it down to something easier sure. and I wrote about it recently and it was about, um, it was about working out. So what I like to do when I work out, and I swear it relates to <laughs> changing the perception <laughs> of failure, um, so what I like to do when I work out, um, and, I, and I specifically use this scenario just because I feel like a lot of people at one point or another have worked out and it's January, a lot of news resolutions, tons of people at my gym, so um, I think this could relate. So when I work out, I try to say a lot of positive things in my mind because at, at that time I have control of 
I have, I find that I have more control of my thought patterns. So I'm focusing on a muscle, so I should be focused on that muscle to be able to, I find that there's a better body-mind connection. And at the same time, I'm trying to say positive things to push through that, especially that last set, because that's what's really important, right. is pushing through that, oh my God, I can't do it, my body might hurt. It's, it's not losing your form, it's just knowing that, wait, you actually could do that extra five sets or whatever it is, or five reps, sorry. And so I try to say a bunch of positive things, but I started with my first, my first set. So my first set is super easy and people don't think about saying really positive things. And so I, that's, that's when you do start. That's when you have full control. It's just like, oh, of course this is easy. But no, instead you have to tell yourself really positive things. Like I could do this. Oh my God, I'm doing great. I can't believe I came to the gym. Just constantly saying positive stuff like that. So then by the time you get to the fourth set, you're actually able to, um, that it creates like a ripple effect and you're, con you're in like a state of positivity, let's say. And so when you're in that state, so it's just like, oh, you, you just primed yourself to, and prepped yourself to be able to push through that last four set, that last set. So really what you've done is for that. And so, um, so yeah, so perception of failure really helps. So when you're doing work, and you think that like, oh, I don't have it in me to do that last set of LinkedIn posts or social media campaign or whatever it is that you need to do as an entrepreneur, you're, you activate that set of positivity in you from working out and it kind of creates a ripple effect. And so you end up talking to yourself and realizing like, no, actually I can because when I thought my body was gonna give up, I was able to do it and this is mental. So when you start understanding like that part of your side right. of your brain, um, then you end up realizing like, oh, I, I do, I am capable of pushing through anything and everything. So, uh, so I just try to do it at a state where it's easiest. I love it. Sense. I think it's very cool. I think Thanks. it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, so, so what I do when I, when I'm working out is very similar in a way. It's slightly different. I listen to motivational videos awesome. on YouTube. And what Perfect. they do, they actually do this priming. Oh, good, they, good. They, they talk about, hey, you can, like, this is what you have to do when you're trying to achieve certain results, like how early you have to wake up. Uh, and then it's, it's a, it's a mushup of different, different people who talk about this motivational things. And I find I do start with slightly easy. And then later I, I, I obviously put more effort into, into the workout. But then this, this type of things, this, this type of motivation actually does allow you to to keep the the peak effort a little bit longer yeah, and just sure. just persevere a little bit more. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome that you do that. And you probably will end up seeing it in other parts of your life. And so the whole goal is like of course you should be in a state of awareness and you are in the first set, but really it's to get into a state of like um, being automatic and habitual. So it's just like you're creating this automatic response. It's just like, oh, when I'm doing um, my five papers on whatever topic, I'm actually created this automatic response of just like, yes, I could do it rather than going to the regular uh, response of like, oh shit, like I'm actually really tired and you know what, it's getting right mm -hmm. late and like just coming up with all these excuses that our mind have just been programmed to think from like millions of years ago. So it's just reprogramming ourselves and making that automatic. That's our first go-to to go to. And so I find that working out or doing something that you usually do and have control of 
is the best way to start to create that ripple effect. Um, so there's this uh, interesting point that I've uh, I've recently heard and about yes, uh, not not. Um, not, not giving a fuck about other people's opinions. <laughs> and, oh, I love uh, it's, uh, it's something that I've learned from multiple people, Gary V, David Cancel, by the way, CEO of, of Drift. And um, why is it important and how that can help people to really get more out of their potential and get more out of their life, get, get those new resolutions finally? Right. So, so the psychology side and going through the experience myself has really helped me see that like, okay, wow, like you have to be really careful who you take advice from. So I was working for um, for a bunch of different CEOs and throughout the process I kept seeing, especially this one CEO, he kept taking advice from, like he would come in the next day and be like, okay, we need a new website. I just heard that you need to have this type of button and this and, and I'm just like, oh my God, like, we just spent so much money on this website like it's he lacked the confidence to believe in what he was doing and what we were doing and so he kept changing it and it cost him a lot of time and money but it just the more you lack confidence in yourself the more you're gonna seek advice from other people so that that was what was evident and i could see it in a lot of entrepreneurs and even myself like at some point where I was just like, I just didn't feel that motivated. And I was like, I was not in a great place. So I was seeking advice from all these people. And when I got out of that place, it was just like, oh my God, um, I shouldn't have taken advice from those people. And I actually should have trusted myself. Because right. honestly, when you start getting more confident in yourself, you end up almost, you end up heightening your instinct, your gut reaction, whatever you want to call it. And so, um, and it really helps you in business and in life. It's not to say that you shouldn't take advice from no one. It's just, if you're going to take advice from that person, um, make sure that you want to switch places with that person on the topic that they're talking about. So it's just like, oh my God, they're the smartest person on marketing. Like Gary Vee, like, I don't know his personal life. So I'm not going to take advice from him in about his personal life. But business, marketing, social, like all of that, for sure. He's amazing. But so just be careful what you're taking advice um, from people about. And, um, and honestly, it could make a huge difference because I find as an entrepreneur, you're constantly taking in advice from people. People also constantly want to give you advice without you even asking. And so the subconscious part of your brain is kind of taking that in. So, right. Which is also goes into why it's so important for you to be careful who you surround yourself with. Always. So, so that also leads into that as well because your subconscious mind is like, like it's, it's always listening. There's, and then so there's like a seed planted. And the 20th time you heard the same thing from someone, which you didn't think was a good idea, but you didn't have the boundaries to be able to say, hey, like, I'm okay. I don't like, I don't want advice from that, but thank you so much. Um, and so... It, but if you didn't, you weren't able to set that boundary, it seeps into your mind and then you start questioning yourself. And then if you're at a low point for whatever reason, you end up, it starts being questioned more and then you start saying, oh, maybe they're right. And then you end up trying it and realizing like, oh wait, no, like I was, I, I had full, I should have had full confidence in myself the whole time. Totally. I think, yeah, subconscious mind absorbs all this stuff yeah. and then you're like, no, I'm okay. And then, then 
at certain moments is just as you said you're like oh maybe maybe they're right maybe the naysayers are right and then you're not good enough and then people give up and and again this of course like and it goes back to the point of like it's not that i'm a mind reader that i would know that this would happen to your mind as well it's just that like we have this like million year old brain that's been primed and conditioned to to help us and help us survive and how do you survive best is if you're taking advice from other people to be like, oh, okay, let's let's help, let's build some spears, and let's go kill an animal or whatever it is you have to do to survive, and so that's how we've been programmed and conditioned. But now in this world, it's just like, wait, it it doesn't make sense when these thoughts come up, but it is actually there to help us survive. Right. So it's just like, but our thought processes, like you and I, like we're different people, but we thought the same thing. So that's why it's always so important that you are aware that like the subconscious mind is there and it's been conditioned for millions of years so you need to start trying to bring it into awareness almost yeah i think and also just that like as you as you said surrounding yourself with the right people is so important they are really really powerful in 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 affecting your subconscious mind and affecting your conscious mind and then bringing you down to their level to make sure to keep their level of security yeah, yeah security keep, that's keeping themselves keeping themselves safe or like oh no i am bringing them down so i could feel a safer or i could feel more loved yeah which is like i wouldn't say that people are maliciously even doing that it's just that that's just their comfort zone and their fear and they might not be aware that their subconscious is doing that and making them act that way to bring you down to that level but you need to be aware that like oh that it, they're in a certain place and that which is evident based on how they live or how they talk and what they talk about and so um so i have to be careful because they could bring me down to that level because they're not aware that their subconscious might be playing on their fears Absolutely, and also I find that interesting. Where everybody's got ideas, nobody executes on them. Like yes, everybody, everybody's got. Oh, I got this great idea. I've got that great idea, and usually they are. They've got this really long timeline. So I mean, a couple of months, in a year, in a couple of years, and then it, those ideas just never happen. Yeah. And then it's it's amazing like how how that works. It's how important it is to change the mentality to say, hey, maybe there's something small I could try, I could start right now, but actually do it versus there's a big grand something that never actually happens. No, for sure. Like, and it's a it's something that I've also been like in a position as well, where it's just like, oh, I came up with a million ideas, or I came up with something that Google came up with. But it's just like it doesn't matter. Everyone has actually come up with something that Google's come up with. It's just that they executed on it. Exactly. And it's you could make a million excuses that you didn't have the money or the time. But if you really wanted something and you were really passionate about it, like you would have done it. But it's but even not to say it's just also the fear. It's just like learning how to step outside your fear and how do you do that? There's there's a lot of things that you need to do to be able to keep your million-year-old brain in check. So being careful who you surround yourself with, uh, making sure you have boundaries, uh, making sure you're aware of like your thought patterns and what you eat, what you do. All those things play an important role in being able to um, step outside your fear and your comfort zone. Oh, absolutely. Those are, those are so important. I wanted to ask you about um, what are the what is the best marketing book have you read uh, since we have talked about marketing and I want and then and then we're gonna jump into self development. Ooh, um, so 
I'm not even embarrassed to say this. I haven't read a marketing book. Right. I read the books that I had to read in school um, and whatever I needed to learn in U.S. But honestly, I, I go... I'm the type I like to go straight to the textbooks. Mm. So when I learned everything I needed in marketing or even UX, I went I went to like those heavy course like textbooks that you get in school, like yeah. because those have all the stats and the scientific research and all the information that I needed, and that's how my brain thinks, right. like is analytically. So that's how I consume the information. Um, so those were my go-to's. So and then in marketing. Um, when I was taking a certificate just to figure out like if that is what I want to do, um, I ended up realizing like, oh, this is all just like my undergrad psych degree was also marketing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it was just understanding people and personas and behaviors. So the advice I actually have for marketers is understand who you are talking to, understand their behavior patterns, mm. understand uh, what they eat, why they eat it. So why people do what they do, just understand their psychology and how they think. Totally. What, what what about what about personal development? Any any recommendations there? To <laughs> yeah, there are so many. It depends <laughs> what kind you would you would want. Um, uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, by Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey love it. is love it. still, I think, at the top of my list. Um, I love Tony Robbins' books as well. He loves to use psychology research um, in his books. I also love Jen Sincero's book. Um, you are a badass. I love the way that she brings um, psychology and, and spirituality together and just really helps people um, understand that they need to love themselves from within before trying to um, do anything on the outside. Oh yeah, so, I love that, love that book. Yeah, too. so she really gives people like the confidence from within and she does it in such a beautiful way that I highly recommend it for people that are not really into reading like heavier textbooks. It's a lighter read, yeah. and um, yeah, I find that. But the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, I do recommend one thing to a lot of people is to be careful which self help books you read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. So um, I I used to not read them at all, probably like three four years ago. And then the more people that you hear, they're like, "Oh, are you reading this?" And it's just like you're kind of out of the conversation. So you just end up saying like, "Okay, fine. Like I'm gonna start reading these books." But I started realizing, like, some of them are really good advice. There could be, like, eight good advice in there, but two of them are really bad, and it could be detrimental into, mm -hmm. like, how you think and your thought process. So I would do research into, um, into the background of the person that you're reading, even though if it's a mainstream book, and it's a, apparently everyone says it's a really good self-help book, do psychologists, do people with like scientific, with science backgrounds or research backgrounds, do they agree that this is also good? Um, totally. Like social so work, like some, someone that like has knowledge into like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense if you do this, right. this, and this, this is going to change your behavior patterns and your thought patterns. Because sometimes I've read these books that are like really famous and I don't want to say they actually could be doing you more harm and could actually be putting people... And that's why like a lot of people are like, why are they still reading self-help books? You know, there's like 20 self-help books yes. on their shelf, like mine included at one point. And I was just like, whoa, I just went into like a little spell into um, and like got into a hole of like just constantly reading self-help books where it's just like, no, I never felt that way when I was reading my psychology textbooks. It was giving me 
um, like the answers that I needed to be able to navigate in life. Whereas I found the self-help books, it's just, it puts you on the path of needing another self-help book. Right. And please try to balance self-help books with just... Action. Like, just Yeah, just regular and action, <laughs> but regular books. Of course. Because they're heavy. Yes. They're heavy type of reading because you're constantly going within trying to search like, oh my God, did I do this? Did I do that? And in first year psych, you realize everything you read, I forgot what theory it's called. There's something that they call even like first year psych students that everything you read in the book, like you think you're like schizophrenic all of a sudden, hmm. or you think you're this behavior and that, but it's not true. It's just that a lot of them are very similar in terms of behavior. It's just like, if when you go on an extreme spectrum of something, it's just like, oh, then you could be called a narcissist or schizophrenic and stuff. And that's why you need an actual like therapist or psychologist to diagnose you. So, um, so yeah, just be careful because um, sometimes it makes you go in too deep, but they're not giving you the right pathway to know what it is that the root cause is. And right. you, you don't have the tools and skills to be able to do that. So I would say, like, if you're on the third, fourth self-help book, just go talk to a therapist. Every therapist needs a therapist, so why wouldn't you? Balance it out, do the research, don't trust everybody, and take action. Yes, honestly, that's, that's just from experience as someone, like, with a background in psychology and behavioral science. I'm just telling you that if there's, like, 20 self-help books and you still feel like I need to learn a lot, I'm sure there's always room for growth, but of course. seek help or balance it out. And reflect within, like trust yourself, learn to trust yourself rather than trusting all these books for all the answers. Totally agree. Mina, last question, where is everybody can find you online? Oh, um, you could find me, my LinkedIn page, uh, Mina Movicelli, and you could find me at mindtheblueprint.com or on my Instagram. And I will link it, uh, all the resources below so you could follow, the audience can follow you on these resources. And it was a pleasure. We we'll love the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining.